And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Piscali. With me, as always, is Matthew Fairburn, and we are here with you for the first time. In an off-season edition in the year 2021, the Bills, of course, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I'm sure it's a uh, loss that some are still trying to get over, maybe including some on the on the team itself. But the Bills now have to go into the all-important sustaining mode because now they are faced with the fact that they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. They will be entering 2021 with expectations, and they have loads of questions to answer in the offseason, some by their own doing, some not, because of the very likely um, stark decrease in in salary cap. Still don't know what the what the number is, whether it's going to be the floor of $175 million or maybe if it's going to be into the 180s. But regardless, it's not going to be anywhere close to the $210, $215 million figure that Brandon Bean said they were, that some people estimated. So lots of questions heading into the offseason. And um, we're here to talk with you about some of the comments that Brandon Bean made after the season ended. Um, on this past Wednesday, and how it might relate to some of those off-season decisions. So, Matthew, I mean, when when we talked with both McDermott and Bean, I don't know if it's. I mean, of course, we we don't usually get much out of McDermott, but I don't know if it's because we haven't spoken to Brandon Bean since um, since like the the trade deadline area, or if it's just been a long time. But it felt like. It was so much more forthcoming than than what I'm used to, and um, and, and you know maybe he gave us some some pretty nifty clues as to what they might be thinking this off season. Yeah, I thought he did provide a lot more clues rather than just posing questions uh, the way that McDermott kind of did. Um, you know, when McDermott speaks, you you almost end up with as many questions as answers. And I feel like there's always a hint, especially as we get to know these guys more and, you know, see their patterns, what they say and what happens. I think Brandon Bean, you know, not that he's tipping his hand or, or saying what he's going to do, but, um, you know, giving some clues and, you know, providing some some thought behind their thinking and things of that nature. I think he, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me right away and it was really in both of the the press conferences, but you know Brandon Bean came right out and said it might not be realistic to to score 500 points again, which was honest. Um, you know, it was 
somewhat refreshing honesty to to know you know he even went through and noted how healthy they were and all the things that went right for them that may not go right um doesn't mean that they're going to have a bad offense you know he even said the hope is to have top five you know most years uh but things have to break your way to get the 501 point output that they had um in 2020 and you know both Bean and McDermott definitely took the tone of stressing how difficult it is to sustain success and noting the challenge in front of them. And, you know, when Sean McDermott was walking off the field on Sunday night, he said the Buffalo Bills will be back. You know, we will be back, which is a a bold statement to make by McDermott standards uh, about such a difficult climb to get to the AFC championship game. But I think they recognize the the mountain they have to climb to get back um, because when you lose, you get knocked right back down and start where everybody else is, and they're going to be the hunted now. They're not going to be the team that, that sneaks up on anybody. They're not going to, you know, they've lost a little bit of that, that underdog innocence. You know, they're now, you know, one of the top teams in the AFC that, that will be expected to get back and maybe go beyond that. You know, the measuring stick is now the Super Bowl, not just winning playoff games. And that's something they have to get used to and, and build their team around. Yeah, it's it, it was very uh, interesting that McDermott chose that tack. And it, I don't know. I don't know if he like walked it back. Maybe maybe he did. But just the whole idea, they realize how difficult it is from one year to the next to to really bottle um, this type of team in this type of season. Um you know, scoring 501 points like they did, they also needed 56 in the final week of the year in, in this in a game where they thought they were probably going to rest some of their guys, at least some of the game. And they ended up pasting the Dolphins for 56 points. And that's what ended up getting them to the 500 mark in itself. But, you know, regardless, it's very difficult to sustain that high level of an offense. And especially when... The Chiefs just went and put out a blueprint on on how to slow down this version of Josh Allen. So this is something that I'm sure the, the Bills are going to spend all offseason on on trying to fix. I think there are a few different areas that um, that will help, especially because it, it leads us into the offseason conversation. But make no mistake, I mean, when you look at what is going to get the Bills over that AFC Championship game hump and into the Super Bowl and winning a world championship for the first time in franchise history, all due respect to the defense, like, yeah, they'll they'll play a role and they need to do a lot better than than what they did against Patrick Mahomes. They they need um they need some better players at, at a at a couple of different positions. But what's going to get you there is if your offense can go toe-to-toe. And we saw the offense just really shrivel up in that Kansas City game um, wait on way too many drives. And it's not because they didn't move the ball. They just didn't finish those drives. And McDermott didn't uh, have the outright uh, confidence that they would be able to punch it in for for touchdowns and convert on fourth and twos fourth and threes fourth and ones like it it all leads into how the bills lost the way that they did and i think 
a lot the first big answer they'll have to they'll have to provide is what to do to help Josh Allen beat that specific type of defense. And a lot of what the Chiefs did, you know, after going back and, and watching them, they were almost daring the Bills to run the ball in the way that the uh in the way that the Bills were were daring the Chiefs to run the ball back in week six. Like the Chiefs were essentially only out there with four defensive linemen, one linebacker, and six defense six defensive backs. Um, a lot of four, three safety looks, maybe even some four safety looks, because Tyron Matthew doesn't really count as a safety; he's just kind of a hybrid. But that's that's the that's what they chose to do a lot of the time, and it messed with the Bills because they didn't have the blocking up front, uh, which negated their running game, and there was a lot of coverage-based people out there taking away his favorite targets, whether it be Beasley or Diggs, and then providing some blitz pressure out of those out of those schemes and really confusing him after showing looks pre-snap, all of these different things. That's going to be the number one thing that, that they have to um, advance from in this year because you know, we haven't really seen a defense that has slowed down the Bills quite like that one. Um, so I think from here on out, they have to answer that, but it's more obvious than just Dable and Allen getting getting down to brass tacks and, and saying, okay, this is this is what we have to do to beat this. They need personnel. And that's where the offseason comes into play. And I think above all else where it starts is that they have to show that they can run the ball, which is weird because everybody wants them to be pass first, pass first, pass aggressive, just like they have been all year. And you're right to want that because it's it's a great way to do things. But you also need to be able to do the other thing to help balance that out from time to time. And the Bills just didn't have that at all this season. And I think one of the big reasons for that, especially down the stretch, was that the play of the interior offensive line was not good at all in that Kansas City game. And I think that's really where the conversation of the offseason starts with this offensive line, whether it be John Feliciano, Mitch Morse, Ike Butker, Cody Ford. I mean, I know Brandon Bean offered some comments on all these guys, and we're going to get into it, but I think this is where it needs to begin for the Bills in this offseason and in trying to make this take this offense from the point in which they got to uh, to where they did. And to be able to make them so that they are so multifaceted that, you know, you just can't do anything against against them defensively. So from here on out, I, I, I think fixing that running game, and I'm not even, I don't even think it, it has to do anything with the running backs the way that Brandon Bean was talking. I think it's all about that offensive line. And that's something that you talked about before, Matthew, that this could be a, a major season where we see a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of transition with that offensive line. Yeah, I think... Just to run down a few things that Brandon Bean said that, you know, point to some clues to what you're talking about with the running game. Running back, maybe don't count on that as a major, you know, area that they feel like they need to address. I wouldn't be, you know, surprised if like a day three pick or, you know, a a smart free agent addition, you know, gets worked into the fold, but... Brandon Bean kind of went out of his way to not to say that he doesn't put the blame on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And I don't think that should be a huge surprise for, you know, in part because 
the blame probably doesn't rest with them entirely, but also because Brandon Bean has invested third round picks in those guys in consecutive years. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a factor into the equation of whether they would do it for a third straight year. Now I'm not saying that Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are superstars in the making because I don't think they showed that often enough. But I think there's another piece that Brandon Bean alluded to, and that's the scheme. Because mm-hmm. he he mentioned that Mitch Morse, uh, in the schemes they were running in 2019, that's more his bread and butter than what they were doing now. You know, He said he's not really a power guy, and that's true doesn't mean he's not a good center it means you know you use him in the right scheme he's one of the best centers in the league but if you're not using that scheme then frankly he's not um now he's still good uh, but that's not his game so I think it starts there you know you decide what you're going to do up front and what types of schemes you want to run to better get the run game going because that was probably the problem more than anything the way I look at it is that You've got, you know, all year when people talked about the running game struggling, the biggest reason it struggled is because they didn't really use it. And then when they needed to use it, they they couldn't uh, or they, you know, not often enough could they really rely on it, especially when Moss went down uh, toward the end of the year. So I think it starts with deciding what you want to do, deciding who you want to be, because the Mitch Morse question is a legitimate one. Um, you know, they could save $5 million if they move on from him with five and a half on, you know, dead cap. But, you know, that's kind of, it's not enough to make you say, oh, he's an obvious cut. But if you're deciding to move on, you know, into a different scheme, then maybe. Um, I thought he played well this year. I, I think he's a, an asset for them. But if they view Feliciano as more important, they can basically use that money and move it around. Cody Ford sounds like he'll be a starter. Um, oh, yeah. That would be the other thing I would check off. So scheme is number one. Um, you know, Figure out what you do there to figure out what you're going to do with both Mitch Morris and John Feliciano because John Feliciano can play center. So... Ford sounds like a starter. So as we put this puzzle piece together, it's about where is Ford a starter? Is he your left guard? Because Ike Butker had his moments and you know was in his first handful of games as a starter in the second half of the year. Did they see enough to say, you know, this is a guy that can be a piece? Does that mean if he's more comfortable there that you move forward to right guard or right tackle because the other piece of the equation is Daryl Williams? Uh, and Bean mentioned that he saw him thought he was going to be a guard and ended up seeing that, you know, he had a pretty good year at tackle. So keeping that whole deal together is going to be tricky, but they also have some interesting questions to, you know, to, to answer on the interior. And the other piece of it that I guess is sort of a piece, but, you know, a little bit of a different conversation is it definitely sounds like tight end will be in the, the equation as well. Um, part of the run game, in a sense, and part of the pass game too, you know, having those answers that you talk about when teams go with different looks, the tight ends weren't even a threat. And Brandon Bean mostly said that and said teams weren't worried about our tight ends, nor should they have been. The interesting thing I would like to maybe see them do is if they did get a better tight end and, and get somebody that was good, Dawson Knox 
has the skill set and the the body type to play sort of a you know that h back type of role you there, you don't have to discard Dawson Knox completely to upgrade at tight end um so all of those play into some of the running game but also a little bit of how the running game and and passing game can play off one another because Brian Dable who will be back uh, at this point um you know all the head coaching jobs are are filled um he's not a guy that needs the 10 personnel or needs a certain offense he could reimagine it with a couple of tight ends with an H back. Um, we saw new England do that for years, depending on who they had their offense changed. So those are all, you know, branches of the same tree when it comes to the bills running game and the offense and, and what, you know, the decisions they have to make this off season. And by the way, we live in a world where the guy who coached Nathan Peterman in 2017 is now a head coach before Brian Dable in <laughs> David Culley. But um, yeah, that's... I don't know what what that was about. Yeah, um, me neither. Nice guy, but yep. if you're asking me to pick between David Culley and Leslie Frazier for a head coaching job, which is who they were down to, um, I think Frazier would be the obvious candidate. Yeah. But there's also the piece of who knows. I would assume Frazier wanted it because he went down there for a second interview. Um, yeah, he wants he to be a head coach that. again. That's pretty clear. So, you know, because at first I thought, man, maybe Cully's the only one who said yes, but Frazier was down there. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Dable wasn't interested or, or whatever. But, yeah, to pick between Frazier and Cully and go with Cully is um, confusing yeah. at best. But that's yeah. why they have a little mess on their hands. Yeah, they sure do. Um, but... Going back to what you were talking about, uh, if there's one person for from a personnel perspective that I'm not, I wouldn't be concerned about them trying to fit all the pieces together, it's Brian Dable because he is very good with utilizing the personnel as they are and, 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 cons- and con- constructing that scheme around that personnel. So whatever they decide to do in the offseason, I think Bills fans should at least have um, at least that amount of faith that he'll be able to to figure out the, the best path for them moving forward. But it is all about the offseason decisions. And you touched on the single most important uh, comment, I thought, from that entire hour and four minutes that Brandon Bean talked, which was the idea of the blocking scheme and the fact that Mitch Morse was not uh, that perfect fit for what they're doing or what they did last year. And quite frankly, since they had so much success, probably what they're going to do going forward. I mean, look at what changed in 2019. I know, I know, Mitch Morse has been here a while. He's he's kind of, you know, um, become a uh, a good quality center for them, and one that they really needed back when they signed him. But since 2019, in that off season, all of the things that they have done with their offensive pieces that have the running game in mind have been to you utilize a more power-based scheme. Everyone they have signed, everyone they have drafted, it's all the same. You look at uh, you look at them signing John Feliciano. He's more of a, a power-based uh, 
power base guard. Um, same thing goes with with Daryl Williams, who signed this past offseason. Uh, they drafted Cody Ford, who's more of a power uh, power offensive lineman, whether it be guard or tackle, than he is that athletic uh, and and you know um, pull and and do all this other stuff. That's not really him to a certain degree. He's at his best when he's just going downhill and, and mauling people. And they brought in Bobby Johnson, who in 2019, which I think is probably the most important part to all this, because how he has gotten them to where they are has been with with that blend of power. I think a, a big reason why they probably moved on from Wyatt Teller was was for a lot of the same reason, um, because they they probably didn't view him in that light. They were wrong, but that's that's just how it was going about. They they thought maybe they they had some other players on the roster that would be able to provide the power that that he wasn't able to, that he wasn't showing in training camp. And then you look at who they drafted in this past uh, in 2020 in Zach Moss, who is more of a power-based running back. So everything is kind of shifting them into that direction. And I know that you know, I I want to say you and I were were one of the first that that talked about the the whole idea of them potentially moving on from Mitch Morse back when they made him a healthy scratch because and, and I know some fans were frustrated with us because it's like, hey, they're in the middle of a really great season. What the hell are you talking about here? But it was important back then because it was important to capture that moment because it has ramifications into the offseason, especially when they have so many question marks, especially when they want to retain so many of their own their own people. And they talk about this this draft retain or draft uh draft um build up develop and retain all of these different players. So when they make a decision like that and then they make a decision in week 17 to make Mitch Morse be one of the guys that plays all the snaps and then they have that little voice in the back of their head that that Brandon Bean even alluded to about his concussion history and knowing his concussion history. It, everything that they have done and it looks like leads me to believe that we're gearing up for them to potentially move on from Mitch Morse. And whether that means they re-sign John Feliciano or Daryl Williams, I don't know. Probably Feliciano because they could probably get him at a better cost and then have him be their starting center moving forward. But still, that would give you Dawkins at left tackle, Feliciano at center, and then Cody Ford at one of the guard spots. And then you have to fill two more, whether it be with like Butker or, um, or they'll probably draft a guy. Uh, they've got some decisions to make there but I think it all starts like you said with the Mitch Moore stuff and then building out from it and if you had to ask me right now I think Mitch Morse is is probably on the cut line you know I I'll wait to see exactly what what more is said maybe some of the decisions they make um in the next few weeks but we're getting close to that time where they have to make these decisions and you know I looked at Mitch Morse and he was Kind of a weakness over the playoffs, if I'm honest. I mean, they they weren't. He was not playing well uh, down the stretch. He did uh, when he regained his starting spot, but in the playoffs, he he didn't look great. And so I I just wonder if maybe uh, that's where the whole conversation starts, and then that way they can 
organically fill the offensive line with who they believe is best suited to this power-based scheme that uh, Brandon Bean referenced. Yeah, I think with Morse and, you know, the, the thing about that whole situation was that they ended up with an easy out in the sense of he went right back into the lineup, but he only did that because Cody Ford got hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Cody Ford got hurt that week of practice and he went back into the lineup. It's not to say he wouldn't have otherwise, but that gave them, they, they almost had no choice. You're not going to leave Mitch Morris on the bench. Um, you know, when another interior lineman went down and you needed to move John Feliciano over, it eventually became, you know, Winters wasn't good enough, so Butker went in. But that part of it was kind of lost. They didn't really have to decide whether they were going to, you know, have Mitch Morse, you know, standing on the sideline for a second straight game because Cody Ford got hurt. So, yeah, I Brandon Bean mentioned the same thing that Sean McDermott did about, wanting to you know get a look at that group that looked pretty good running the ball and alluded to the concussions you know when I asked him about some of those decisions like Trent Murphy Harrison Phillips and Mitch Morris these guys that they invested a lot in that you know ended up standing on the sidelines at times those two pieces of it you know I think will lead them to you know, some of those tough decisions that they talked about. It's not an obvious one financially. It's not like a slam dunk, no brainer, but it is a savings and they have to cut some corners more than they thought they would. You know, they, they are at the cap or really over it, depending on what it will be. Um, you know, if it's 175, they're a little bit over. Um, and they have a lot of wiggle room, you know, it's about 5 million with Morse, but there's a lot of other places that they could really save even more money. So yeah, they, ha I think everything that they do this off season almost has to start with the offensive line. I think I view it as their top draft priority, um, with where they're sitting in the first round. Not that they need to lock themselves into one position because there's not an obvious one like receiver was last year. I think it's a bucket of three or four needs that could work in the first round, depending, of course, on all the moves that they make. But offensive line, I view as one, depending on how this thing shakes out, almost no matter how it shakes out, because I think they're not keeping Morris, Feliciano, and Williams. I don't think they'll keep all three. I'd be surprised if they run it back with the same group the way that they've talked about needing more from their running game and the way Josh Allen was kind of running for his life against the Chiefs on Sunday night at times. So, yeah, they're going to have to make a, a tough call there. And you don't, you know, I talk about them being right at the cap. That doesn't account for Feliciano and Williams because their contracts are, are already off the books and expired. So, you know, you can save five-ish with Morris, but you need to save a lot more than that. And it's part of why, you know, and we'll get into the other side of the ball too, but, you know, Matt Milano coming back is is not a given. Um, and 
this defensive line might look a lot different. There's a lot of, of dominoes that are going to fall in order to keep the core in place and plan for eventually having a 35 to $40 million a year quarterback. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, the offensive line has to be the place they start because it's the place that they'll probably have the most turnover. So I suppose the, the way to think about this is I don't know that they're going to find the funds to um, get Daryl Williams back. I think he has probably priced himself out of Buffalo, especially, I mean, if you look at it like, okay, if you have to make a decision between Matt Milano at a or Daryl Williams at a price point of 10 plus million, then you're probably going Matt Milano 10 times out of 10. Um, it just be just based on how good he was for the defense and how much he he means to them. So I think that is probably the starting point for that. But then you look at Feliciano versus Morse. I really think it's going. It has to be one or the other with those two guys. And I know they really like uh, Feliciano. They love his leadership. I think his play actually over the um, over the last few weeks dipped a little bit. So maybe that brings his price tag down a little bit. Um, but still, he's better suited to what they wanted to run last year and what they found to be most successful last year. And and odds are they're going to continue <laughs> down that path since they had so much offensive success in 2020. And if they can get a center that they trust and that they know and that is a leader to their locker room at a reduced cost, I think that's something that would really interest them, even if he's not the greatest of centers at, at at this point and he won't be a a top five to six to seven center in the nfl i think i think they'd probably be okay with that with with all the other intangibles that he brings so if you cut morse you could essentially get feliciano re-signed based on how much money he would probably um attract there uh, i think that's that five million area is probably the the right spot for him. Um, yeah, maybe six a, to eight seems yeah. like his ceiling. Maybe like a little bit more would be but, his ceiling. And even if you save that money with Morse, you slide most of it over and cover at least a good chunk of that cost. Yeah, exactly. You know? like so not the whole thing, but enough of it to where those can offset. You know, obviously with a little bit of of dead cap from Morse, but, right. but still, um, you know, that's only on the book. That's not on the books too much longer. Um, and that's when they're really going to be squeezed in a couple of years, you know, with Josh Allen's deal. Well, they'll, they'll hope for the, the cap to have the surge in 2022. Like I think every NFL team is going to hope for, but, um, I think that is the place to start. And then we'll transition it to the defensive side because, Morse is the, is the starting point for the offense. The starting point for the defense is what they want to do with Matt Milano. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Now, you know, it's not certainly not going to be easy, both from an optics and and a, uh, a roster building and a and trying to maintain relationships with the veterans of the team. But I view Matt Milano to be so integral to what they are trying to do defensively. And his worth was proved over this past season with the struggles that Tremaine Edmonds had, especially when Milano wasn't on the field. Edmonds was playing some of his best ball when Milano was finally getting back into the swing of things. Um, that Chiefs game notwithstanding, Edmonds was was bad. Milano, on the other hand, I mean, he wasn't great. I don't think there was a single great defender out there. I think Taron Johnson probably had Taron Johnson and Ed Oliver had two of the strongest days of of any of the players out there. But um, you know, Milano was still you know solid, and and he helped make some plays that I don't think would have been made. Had it just been Edmonds and, and AJ Klein out there, so I think he, him, and his versatility and his instincts and how he can play both the run and the pass, I think he's so important. And I don't know that they want to live in a world where they pick Tremaine Edmonds over Matt Milano, based on what we've seen this past year from from Edmonds. They like Edmonds, don't get me wrong, but and they would probably prefer to have both, but Milano is just just a cut above what Tremaine Edmonds was this past year. And there's a pretty simple way to get to Matt Milano. Um, The other piece of the puzzle is whether or not he'd want to sign a long-term extension with them. And because Brandon Bean talked about him earning the right to go to free agency, which he has. But I also, the reason why I asked it right at the end of the, the press conference was uh, if they were open to using the franchise tag on on Matt Milano, and he didn't shut it down. And that franchise tag for linebackers is probably going to be somewhere around $14, $15 million, and that would probably be just a bit above what he would be getting on a yearly basis. So to clear that room, it's a pretty simple formula. 
all you have to do is cut John Brown, which he did not look great at the end of the season. He looked horrible against the Chiefs. Like it, it looked like his his speed and his explosiveness was gone. Um, I don't know if it's a high ankle sprain. That probably had something to do with it, but he's also going to be 31 years old in April. Then it's cutting Lee Smith, which, you know, when you combine those two elements, it's about $11.25 million. And then you cut one of Quentin Jefferson and or Vernon Butler, and you get to the money that you need for Matt Milano. It's it's three guys, sure, but they probably aren't planning on on keeping Lee Smith. They have a, a replacement in line for... Um, uh, for John Brown with Gabriel Davis, and they have a defensive tackle coming back probably in Starla Tulele that can fill the the gap on one of Vernon Butler or Quentin Jefferson. So it's a very, it's not easy, but because you're letting three guys that meant a lot to your locker room last year go, but still that is away, and you are there with ample money to bring back Milano on the franchise tag if you need to. So I think I think it's so important to bring him back and uh and work on a long-term extension with him because he is he was their best defender this year every time he was on the field. I'm prepared to say that and I I think he makes this defense in, into an entirely different unit when he's there and and you keep those guys in my opinion. Yeah, it didn't sound like a given. Um Brandon no, Bean talked right. about him the same way we're using the same terms he used to talk about Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. Now, like you said, it's a question of whether they want to use the franchise tag. They haven't had a reason to use it in a long time. I don't know that the Bills have used a franchise tag since I've covered this team. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think Jarris, they didn't even do it. With, did they do it with Jarris yeah. Bird? I, w- I wasn't here for that. Yeah, um, they they did it with Jarris Bird. They, so I they, think that um, might have been the last one that they they used it on because when was the last time they they could have used it with Stephon Gilmore, uh, but they didn't. Um, and since yeah, was, then, have they had a, have they had a draft pick? You know, they traded Sammy Watkins twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen didn't have a first rounder. Twenty sixteen was Shaq Lawson. So yeah, now twenty seventeen draft. So mm-hmm. it would be the first time they would use it uh since i've been here i think it's an option uh it's something that i'm sure they'll consider but the part that stuck out to me was him saying that matt milano he said he wanted to before correcting saying has earned has earned the right to test free agency and I think it sounds like Matt Milano probably wants to do that. Now, a lot of people out here are probably thinking, well, the salary cap's going down. Is this the best year to hit free agency? There's some teams out there with a lot of money to spend. Yep. Um, yep. So even though the salary cap is going down and a lot of players are probably going to hit the market because of it, there's a lot of teams sitting there waiting to pay those players. Uh, and there's probably one, you know, a couple in the division that would be willing to pay Matt Milano quite a bit of money. Um He's from, uh, or he he's from down in Florida. Um, I don't know. Would he be a guy that would would want to you know be in a different market or you know get that big payday? We don't really know. He's kind of a low key guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, doesn't talk a lot. Can't, showed a little bit more of his personality this year. Um, but yeah, the franchise tag might be the only option if he is intent on hitting free agency and. 
I do think the question of whether they can afford Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano is a legitimate one long term um, mm-hmm. because they can. You know, you can afford anything if you're willing to make sacrifices in other areas, but do you want to make those sacrifices to keep Milano and Tremaine Edmonds? Signing A.J. Klein the way that they did is kind of an interesting, you know, is it was it insurance in case something like this happened? Uh, I don't think he's anywhere near the asset that Milano is on defense, but it's an interesting question because the way that Bean talked about him sounded a lot like the way he talked about Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson a year ago. Um, those guys, and I think Milano is much in in line for a better payday than either of those guys. Oh, I if, agree. If he hits the open market. So yeah, he's a far better player than both of those guys. He also switched agents at some point um, in the last few years, um, had a smaller agent when he came in the league fifth round pick out of boston college you know that's um you know kind of what you would would expect and and now he's with joel siegel i believe double check it look it up who's a a big time uh agent has gotten a lot of guys paid and so yeah the franchise tag accomplishes that for milano gets him paid but um that might be the only way to keep him which brings up you know, where can they save money? Like you mentioned, John Brown save almost 9 million bucks. Um, we're right at 9 million bucks, I think. Um, yeah, right about just under a hair under 9 million bucks, which I think is the one, um, thing on offense that we didn't mention. That is it. I'm going to be interested to see what Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley are after potentially money wise, you know, how they, how, how that is all handled. Um, because I'm curious if, if Stefan Diggs is going to want more money. Uh, I think he would be well within his rights to ask for it and they could, you know, structure it in a way potentially so that it's not a huge burden on the 2021 cap, but, or maybe they ask him to to suck it up for one more year before the cap goes back up. But Cole Beasley is pretty interesting to me. Like he could ask for some more money or ask for his contract to be extended. He was a huge part of this offense this year. And I think the playoffs showed, you know, when he was hurt and playing through uh that partially broken fibula. The offense operates differently when he's not, you know, automatically getting open for those quick, quick passes. So, you know, if he his he has two two years left on his deal, um, but the yearly cash is really low for him in those those years. So he could, you know, he'll be thirty three at the end of this contract. So I guess the question becomes: Do you want to add years to a guy's deal who? you know, is already going to be 33 at the end of that deal. But, you know, he had pretty low usage in Dallas. So I don't know. He probably does have, you know, he probably can play well into his 30s. It's a a risky proposition, but these are the financial questions that you don't, that aren't plainly obvious, but that can pop up 
there's three of them, I think, three big ones to me that I wonder about. Stefan Diggs, because he's way underpaid for what he is. Um, he should be making a hell of a lot more money. And his agent, Adisa Bakari, is one who has, you know, isn't afraid to make waves um, with contract issues, um, isn't afraid to get what his clients want. He was Le'Veon Bell's agent. He was Maurice Jones-Drew's agent. He was Matt Forte's agent. All those guys uh, held out at one point or another. Not saying Stefan Diggs is going to hold out, but they won't be afraid to ask for what he's worth. Cole Beasley, I think, would be well within his rights to ask for more money um, in one way, shape, or form, however it gets done, restructure the deal or whatever. They brought him in sort of as this number three slot guy, kind of used him that way, and then he was basically their number two receiver this year. So, um, you know, these these unforeseen financial issues that pop up, Cole Beasley's going to be 32 years old. Um, how much longer does he have to ask for that money, you know, and, and deserve it, you know, especially after, hey, I played with a broken fibula, you know, like uh, I've given everything to this team. Why not give something a little bit back? So those two, and then the other one is Micah Hyde. Um, entering the final year of his deal, getting up there in age. If I'm Micah Hyde, I'm looking around that secondary and thinking, you know, what do I have to do to get paid? Um, you know, Tredavious White, obvious extension candidate, given how young he is and what he means to that secondary. But Jordan Poyer, you know, getting a payday and Micah Hyde probably sitting there wondering, you know, maybe he's a little underpaid, right? Like maybe he's... Yeah. I think uh, he is. And I think he's somewhat substantially underpaid. And are you going to let that guy go into a lame duck year uh, on his contract? So those three are things that could pop up that could eat up more of this money uh, that might go elsewhere. So you've got $9 million you could save uh, with John Brown. How much of that do you need to spread around the wide receiver room to keep guys happy? Um then it's this defensive line could look as different as the offensive line looks. They were in somewhat of excuse making mode um, with the defensive line in the end of season press conferences, talking about how long it took to gel and how long, you know, how it was a new position coach and things were really coming together towards the end of the season. And all that's great. He also admitted that they weren't big enough up front, which I thought was, I mean, apparent when you watch them play, but also like to, to goes to show how much they miss that sort of player in the middle of their defense at one technique and how much they were depending on Starla Tulele this year. And I think you can't get out of Starla Tulele. So you nope. better hope he comes back and plays well because yep. uh, he it would be 11.8 dead cat to cut him and yeah it would have been a lot lower if he had played this year because this just kicks the can down the road on his contract and now you're kind of tied to him after a year out of football and at his age they just have to hope that he can still uh, bring something to the table if he wants to play we don't know what the situation is going to be um you know in terms of the virus uh, it sounds like from early reports that this offseason could look a lot like last offseason um in terms of the remote um, spring that they had, and then you know maybe guys come back for training camp, and I don't know if there will be a another chance to opt out for some guys, or you know what the situation will be, how many of them will be able to get vaccinated by then, 
and all of those things. But they're basically tied to him, uh, assuming he wants to play. But they're not tied to almost anybody else, uh, you know, which is wise on their part in how they structured these deals. Six and a half million uh, to cut Quentin Jefferson. That's looking like a pretty good, pretty good idea. Um, Absolutely. Six he did point, not play well this year. Six point eight million to cut Vernon Butler. Mm, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, a lot of money to be saved to do two things I don't think they'll do, but $7.4 million if you move on from Jerry Hughes and $6.1 million if you move on from Mario Addison. I don't think they'll do either of those things, but it depends you know, how pressed they feel for money. Mm-hmm. Um, Hughes, I think, would be less likely to be cut than Addison. Or I agree. I think he's more valuable and still playing at a higher level. Addison is not a young man, though. So Addison's a year older than than Jerry Hughes is, and a ten point one million dollar cap hit for Mario Addison is a little bit rich. Um, I think they like him a lot, and I think he played well enough to maybe stick around. But this is where, to me, you spend a second round pick on a defensive end. He should be ready to replace Mario Addison at this point. Is A.J. Epinesa ready? I don't know. Um, Daryl Johnson may be uh, ready for a bigger role. You almost have to make some of these sacrifices if you want to keep other other pieces in place. You look at you know, their top cap hits heading into next year. Mario Addison is fifth. Is he worth that? Like, I don't know. John Brown is sixth. Probably not worth it. Uh, Quentin Jefferson is the eighth highest cap hit on the team. Vernon Butler's 10th. So, you know, that half of those top 10 cap hits, you know, they could be justified in moving on from. And so you create a lot of money that way, I think. You know, those are the obvious ones that they can save. They could save a couple million by moving on from Lee Smith. There's no dead cap. Um, that's a very small amount of money. Uh, I think something that they could take advantage of, something that I wouldn't necessarily think they were crazy to not take advantage of. You know, it's $2 million. I don't think it's going to make or break them. Matikiewicz, they could save $3.5 million, but I think they value what he brings. And then that's about it in terms of substantial savings that they could have. Um, unless they, you know, want it, they could save money cutting Cole Beasley, uh, a decent amount of it. Um, they could save a lot of money cutting guys like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, but I don't think they're going to get into that. And only a couple million by cutting AJ Klein. So when it comes to moving money around, they have a lot of options. There are restructure options here as well, right? Like you can restructure some of these contracts to cut down the cap number, uh, and move money around so you don't have to necessarily get rid of players. But that's a lot of um, financial juggling that needs to happen to get them to the point where they could bring back a guy like Matt Milano. They can invest in Josh Allen long-term, consider investing in Tremaine Edmonds. As they said, tough decisions. Um, as we lay it all out here, it's probably enough to make people's heads spin because there's a lot that they can do and frankly a lot that they need to do 
to reposition themselves to have a comfortable salary cap situation moving forward. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You got to a lot of points there, so I'm going to try to go um, based off based off memory. Um, I, starting it off with um, the Milano-Edmonds discussion, I think that's an important one, and I think that's a that's one that they are probably having internally. And if they wind up saying, all right, we believe that Tremaine Edmonds is the guy that will be here the longest and that has uh, that plays the important role in the defense, uh, then then he's going to be the one that they invest in. They better be darn sure that he doesn't have these types of lulls. And there, you know, you pointed out some excuse making for the defensive line. There was some excuse making for Tremaine Edmonds early in the season. And I think some of it was legitimate. You know, the the shoulder concerns was definitely um, after his injury that that was an issue, and you could see it in the way he played. But there's also the issue of instincts, and you know, really committing and being um, confident to to commit to those areas and, and shedding blocks. And these are two areas that he struggled in this past year. Shedding blocks, blocks has been an issue for him his entire career. And I don't know if that's going away. I mean, he's 22 years old. He's four years younger than Matt Milano, um, which means they'll have potentially four additional years to what they would have with Matt Milano. So maybe that's part of their thinking here. But they better be damn sure that uh, they're not picking the wrong guy here. If it's if in their minds it's one or the other, uh, because to me Milano is so much more important to the to the defense than Tremaine Edmonds. And now it's just a matter of trying to figure out okay who's the most important. If if that is the discussion, otherwise they'll have to um, they'll have to move some stuff around, like like you said in the future. Um, the other, the other thing I want, and that fifth-year option decision comes up this year. So exactly, you in know, May. they're they're making that decision with that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there is a decision to be made on Tremaine Edmonds, even though he has time on his deal. Yeah, and they could always decline that and try to re-sign him um, uh, to a to a long-term extension and do it that way for maybe less than the fifth-year option would be. So we'll we'll see how they play play that out. But at the very least, it starts the conversation for them about what they need to do at linebacker and what is most important to them. And you know, if, if the the Milano thing is is interesting because Milano was their best defensive player. But if they choose youth and the potential for more years over what is true to form right now, and he also Bean also brought up the injury stuff for Milano too, which I thought was interesting, um, maybe to suggest that there's some some holes with Matt Milano. But I mean, he's the the guy was awesome for them for the last four years, and you know it's it's. They're they're not going to just be able to go out and find another guy to uh, in the fifth round to be 
the type of impact player that Matt Milano has been uh, in their defense. And if they believe that they can do that, they're kidding themselves because he was uh, a different sort of case that, that they developed and he showed to be way better than that, than his draft billing. But regardless, that's going to be a decision maybe that they have to make this offseason between the two. Um, the other person you brought up was Micah Hyde. And I, I'm with you. I think Micah Hyde is vastly underpaid. Um, but I don't know that a new contract is going to be coming for Micah Hyde and, you know, extend years on top of what he has left, which is the one year, because the one thing that he has that both Tredavious White and Jordan Poyer didn't have was that Micah Hyde has a potential internal replacement lining up behind him with the second team. And that's Jaquan Johnson. I don't know if it's if for them they're going to be uh it's it's going to be you know just a complete clean sweep but they have seen so much that they've liked out of Jaquan Johnson and each time he's played he has looked the part like someone that has starting potential down the line he's he's only gotten rare appearances it was preseason a year ago it was week 17 um in 2019 and again in week 17 2020 every single time he was out on the field every single time he's playing defense in training camp practices um you know the the joint practices with the with the panthers he has done things to stand out to the bills and so they probably look at that as an internal solution to where they don't have to prioritize um, using those funds when they have Johnson on on his rookie deal, at least for one year past Micah Hyde's expiring contract. So I think that might light lead into it, and that's a that's a convoluted situation because you know you're not going to easily replace Micah Hyde. He is an important piece to them, but but yeah, that that's at least one different thing from um, from Poyer and, and White, and then the defensive line. I'm with you. I think if you're if you're looking at that defense and going, okay, where where was the biggest letdown? It's right in the middle. I mean, we talked about it at the trade deadline, right? It, they needed a gap-plugging one technique, and they didn't have it. And even as a three technique, I think both Vernon Butler and Quentin Jefferson, their play was so inconsistent this past year. And at this point... It's probably a luxury to keep one or maybe even both of those guys because look at what they have on the roster coming back. They've got Ed Oliver, who is going to be their starting three technique. And, you know, even though the stats weren't there, I thought Ed Oliver had a really good season this year. I do. And I'm actually with Brandon Bean on this one. I, I think that uh, the the statistics will come with time with him because he has shown really good signs in the middle of that defense, especially sometimes playing him out of position, that leads me to believe that there is future success st statistically, even though it's been there already on film. Then they've got Starla Tulele, who they're tied to, as, as you pointed out, be, for cap reasons, as long as he wants to play again. But then they also have Harrison Phillips on the final year of his deal, who's going to be their backup one technique. And then Justin Zimmer still sitting around there, who, who they like and who can give them good rotational snaps. So that's already four guys I'm talking about. Like they they don't need more than four defensive tackles. I mean, even if Justin Zimmer plays his way off the roster, they can still draft a guy in in the the middle rounds or maybe late in the draft to to push him for his spot. 
But it's not as though they have a starting spot on the line with with those as long as Latulule comes back. So Latulule is the big piece here because they need to figure figure it out. But um, I I would be I would say that both Quinton Jefferson and Vernon Butler should be worried about whether or not they're going to have to look for a new job this coming year, even though they have a contract. There's just so much money to be gained on that, and their play didn't dictate to me that they should be here next year. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things, and especially if what you pointed out with the wide receiver room, um, with Stefan Diggs and, uh, and Cole Beasley, and heck, even Josh Allen here uh, for that extension, if they have to push any more money towards extensions, um, to uh, with with their dwindling cap space this year i think those two spots or those two players that are basically a luxury at this point um could be a way to get all of the things that they want to accomplish done this offseason and still have a semblance of a tiny amount of uh, a free agent addition just because if they decide to move on from Matt Milano, then that that kind of opens them up to um, to help build the roster back up that way to to plug the holes, as as Brandon Bean said. So th- there's there's a lot of different ways they can go about it, but you know the the key ones that I'm looking at to, for them to potentially cut, and we've said all their names before, but just to run it down: Mitch Morse, John Brown, Lee Smith, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson. I think that's that's the core five here. Uh, that they need to decide on. And the Addison discussion is interesting. I probably think they'll keep him um, just because they like the the veteran leadership and they want to be at least three deep. And Daryl Johnson has been hit or miss this year. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do. But I think those five names that I mentioned, Morse, Brown, Lee Smith, and Lee Smith is basically gone, I would say, because it's a clean cut. Um, and Butler and Jefferson. I think those are the the big five there about wh- what they need to decide what they're doing there. And, and if they do move on from all of those pieces, that clears up, I believe, 28 to $30 million in cap space, which is substantial for what they would want to do in this offseason. Yeah, so I'm, I have the spot track roster manager pulled up, and they're assuming a 178 um million dollar cap well, I think they're they must be assuming maybe a 175 and the bills carry over a few million yeah the 3 yeah um so they're assuming 175 so 178 with the 3 million the bills carry over um even just assuming that number cutting Jefferson Butler Brown and Lee Smith gets them to 15 million in available cap space adding Mitch Morse to the chopping block gets them to 20 million. If it goes up to 180, you're at 25. If it goes up to 185, you're at 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 185 um, and 30 million in cap space by cutting those guys is your team substantially worse? Yeah. Right. Not really. <laughs> you know, Gabriel Davis right. jumps in for John Brown. Um, John Feliciano, let's say, so let's, let's say 30 million, let's say it's 185. Let's be optimists. Um, they did get some fans in the stands. They played a full season, you know, and Brandon McManus, the kicker, uh, guessed that it would be around the 185 mark. Right. And (laughs) he's a clairvoyant, so we'll go with him. Um, so 
thirty million dollars. You know, obviously, depending on how things are structured, you know, things can get weird. Six for for Feliciano. Um, what fifteen for Matt Milano leaves you with nine million left. Um, probably not bringing back Daryl Williams. You got to allot some for rookies. You have to allot some for Matt Barkley. You got to allot some for Matt Barkley and smaller guys, maybe even like a, a Levi Wallace is a restricted free agent. Right, um, Ike Butker as well. Ike Butker. I believe Isaiah McKenzie is a restricted free agent. No, he's unrestricted this year. Oh, unrestricted. So, yeah, mm-hmm. if he if he's not back, um, which might be tough, but, you know, so, yeah, that's about what you can do. So, yeah, if you don't bring back Matt Milano – Maybe you can bring back Daryl Williams, or maybe you can go get somebody else in free agency. I guess it depends where you view Cody Ford. Is he a tackle or a guard? Um, They didn't commit to one or the other, which is probably smart, because I think um, while he may be a better guard than tackle, I think at this point and the way the offensive line's moving around, I think you put him where you need him. Um, I think he's shown enough to to the point where you say, yeah, we'll stick him where, where is best for the team. And that will depend on what becomes available in the draft, what money they have to spend in free agency to add some guys. So, yeah, but that that at least gets them to a workable number. Um, you know, if you don't cut Mitch Morse, um, you know, you you can subtract five million from that. Um, you don't cut Lee Smith, you can subtract two point two five million from that. Um, but I don't think you're opening up substantial holes on the roster at least by cutting Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, and John Brown. Like, I, I feel like those are, to me, pretty easy, given the problems that they have. Um, Butler and Jefferson didn't bring much to the table. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of people in-house that can fill their shoes. John Brown, you know, there was this big thought in the middle of the season when he went down that the offense was so much worse without him. But I think that faded away pretty quickly. Gabriel Davis, I think, is a really good player and will... Uh, be a guy that can step into that role and be even better than he was this year. And he was pretty good this year. Um, Diggs, Beasley, and Davis is a good top three. You go draft a guy um, and you're you're doing pretty good. They do have some guys that can be, you know, fourth and fifth receivers, you know, Jake Kumaro, um, you know, guys like that. Maybe Isaiah Hodgins, who basically got a red shirt year, can be a little something for you. So, Seems to me they've been preparing to move on from John Brown. Um, you know, they s- seem to plan these things a year year in advance, uh, you know, with, with how they draft. And I think they can manage um, if they make those moves and if they get, you know, a lucky bounce here on the, the final salary cap number. It won't be an easy offseason. It won't be one where they're making big trades or adding, you know, big free agent, you know, big ticket free agents. But they've got they've got some ways to make it work and and move some money around if they're willing to make some reasonably tough decisions and this doesn't factor in any restructures that they do to free up money on short term on the cap so a urgent situation in some regards but not one that they're unprepared for or where they're backed into a corner in any meaningful way there are teams in far far worse financial shape than the bills this offseason yeah Absolutely. So I think this was a good base um, for the offseason. You know, we we recorded longer than I thought we were going to, but there was just so much 
stuff to get to because this this offseason is going to be vastly different from the prior two offseasons with with Brandon Bean because that was all about adding acquiring talent and and building to what they were in 2020 and now it's about sustaining and trying to figure out this world in a the salary cap world in the midst of a pandemic where it's significantly hindering how they do business and probably going to cost them players that they would have otherwise kept. So we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but the Bills don't have a lot of time here. Like the, the new league year is going to begin in mid-March. And or at least it were on schedule. That that's the way that it usually goes. There's no combine this year, uh, and you know the Senior Bowl just got done. So uh, the off season events are different already. But as long as the league year begins when it usually does, then we're gonna have to see them make these decisions within the next month and a half here. And that's that's a bit different for Bills fans, I think, because they're they're used to having a two and a half month ramp up. But the Bills played so far into the into the playoffs that now it's just a it's a very quick track to get to that uh, to those decisions. And the Bills have to make quicker decisions, and they have to go over the film with a fine tooth comb and figure out, okay, are we right to cut player X? whether it be Mitch Morse, John Brown, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, Lee Smith, others, Mario Addison. That's they're going to have a lot of decisions to make and they know it. And so just yeah, it's this one this is probably going to be my favorite offseason of theirs just because there are so many questions, there are so many different ways they can do it. And now it's figuring out what is most important to them and they're going to tell on themselves too to to say what is most important to them and who is most important to them moving forward so yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh we'll be here the whole way to kind of help you through it because the off season like we like the season i I i think it's fair it's really fun to cover games but i don't want to i don't want to speak for you but the off season's kind of kind of our jam I, i think that's that's uh where where uh we we really um we really put it to another gear, Matthew Fairburn. I'll, I'll say that's uh, we're, we're both draft-based dudes from our from our history. So it's the, the off season's always compelling, and off season always breeds breeds optimism, like we've said before. Well, in this off season, I think is interesting from the standpoint that it's so much different than any off season they've had before. Um, you'll hear the words thrown around of, "Oh, it's a, you know every team's off season." across the board is intriguing or crucial or whatever what have you it's um the most important off season every off season um just like you know it, that's just the language that gets thrown around and i don't know that it's always necessarily true but i think what i will say about this off season is it it's just so much different than any other that i've covered and probably and for you as well because they haven't gotten this far as a team and gotten to the point where they need to pay a quarterback and need to do some of these things that you know you have a lot different conversations as a team when you reach that point and when you get to this stage 
of a build. It's a good problem to have. Um, it's a lot better than asking whether Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott should be employed. Um, you know, these are good problems that they've uh, created for themselves by being a competitive team and adding talent to the roster. But now, like you said, it's about it's about those tough decisions. It's about signaling what's important, which they've already done to some degree with Tredavious White and Deion Dawkins. Um, and then they have other other decisions they have to make in that regard that will, um, you know, really kind of plot the future, um, you know, plot the course for the future for this franchise. And uh, I think that's what what makes this a such an interesting off season is the just the the newness of it. It's not something this franchise has had to to do for a long time. That is that is absolutely absolutely true. And one other thing I'll, I'll chuck in to the conversation, um, just just to kind of stew on. The Bills aren't the only team that are facing a, a an offseason where they're going to have to make a bunch of hard decisions and probably meaning veteran players will become available, which means there it might be a, a buyer's market on in free agency uh, just for a little... For, for like the the middle to low tier guys that are just looking to maybe get a one year deal. Um, I think that could be an area where the bills could strike in free agency um, and maybe get a bit of a higher caliber middle tier, middle to low tier free agent than they would have in in most off seasons, just because there's not going to be enough money to go around um, for, for all these guys. So yeah, there's at least 14 teams currently before they do anything that are under the that are that are over the cap 14 that's almost half the league um that is you know and the saints are in the most ridiculous salary cap situation aren't they always though i don't know how they make it work (laughs) but according to spot track right now they're a hundred million over the cap um (laughs) so uh, the Eagles are 50 million. The Falcons are 33. The Packers are 31. Steelers 28. Rams 27. Again, these teams all have to restructure, move money around, right. and, and make the magic work. But that's the point being the 5.9 that the Bills are estimated over at the moment is only the only team that's over by a lesser amount is the Giants. Um, so they're in, of the teams that are in tough spots, they're. Uh, in a good spot but like you said that could create some it's going to create some money issues for the middle class of the nfl Mm -hmm. the upper class will be fine you know the jaguars have close to 70 million uh on the on the floor on the estimated 175 the colts 68 the jets 65 the patriots 58 like those four teams are going to be sitting pretty when all these teams have to make some of these tough decisions and these cuts. Um, The Patriots are going to be out there lurking. There's going to be some quarterback movement this off season. Um, I think that's also part of what makes this an interesting deal is it's not just the bills that are going to be pressed financially. Every team is going to be pressed. It's an unexpected situation. It's a wrench thrown into every team's planning that will create a little bit of volatility and some, um, you throw the quarterbacks into the mix and it's going to be a, a weird one. Yeah. And by the way, we could be looking at an AFC East where the bills are the only team with the same starting quarterback next year. 
It's it's a very, very possible thing, especially if Deshaun Watson gets dealt within the AFC East. And then, you know, if, if let's say he goes to Miami, uh, the Jets deal Sam Darnold and, and they draft a, a quarterback high uh, in the Patriots. Maybe they trade for Jimmy G. Who the heck knows? Um, well, we'll we'll see. But but yeah, there's there's a major possibility. The Patriots at least will have a a different starting quarterback next year. You would assume. So so yeah, lots of volatility, and not just for the Bills. So we shall see. You and I, we have uh, well surpassed Brandon Bean's marathon uh, uh <laughs> marathon uh, press conference time. So I think it's it's time we, we bid adieu to our uh, our Buffalo Beat listeners. Um, any sage words of advice for them before we go? I'll, I will spare them after all the words we've spilled uh, <laughs> in the last hour plus. Indeed. All right. Um, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. By the way, if you haven't yet and you're you're trying to get and you want to get in on, on The Athletic, um, if you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat right now, you can get our monthly offer for $3.99 per month. Um, that is less than a normal subscription. So if you're into reading about enough off-season stuff um, to to uh, you know really get your fill and then uh, really read about any other team you might want, um, any other sport you might want, you know, fantasy sports. Um, and you know, it's, it's all right there for you at the athletic and you can get it right now for three 99 a month by going to the athletic.com slash All right. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks everyone for listening to our first off season edition of the Buffalo beat. And we will talk to you next time. See you then.